This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. Across the Buddhist world, across different traditions, we have the precepts. The precepts vary. There are five that are standard, and then sometimes there are more based on the tradition. And also across traditions, there are different approaches to the precepts. On one end of the spectrum, there's the idea that we have the capacity or we have the potential to purify our actions. And in doing so, to purify ourselves. Within that view, the precepts become quite literal. And so if it says, do not kill, then you don't kill. Right. And within that, then there are, there may be specific instructions that clarify what is killing and what is not killing. And you don't do the things that involve killing. If it's not stealing or not taking what is not offered freely, again, you can get quite specific. Say, well, in this situation, this is considered a gift. In this situation, this would be a kind of theft. And you follow those rules. You create a kind of narrow container. Within that container, there's, as with all containers, there's the possibility of a lot of freedom. But it's based on an idea that I think it'd be hard to grasp that purification of action is possible. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there's this idea, quite radical idea, that we can purify action itself. Not our actions, but the action. So that if, for example, the precept is about sex and sexuality, that we can use sex and sexuality as a way of going past our own dualism about what is right and what is wrong. We can explore it to go beyond the question of morality. And in doing so, transform it. This isn't about purification of self so much as purification of action or purification of view. There's something incredibly profound in this idea, but you can see without any further explanation at all, it's also uh, risky. And then there's an approach that's in the middle I don't know if it's in the middle. I'm going to say it's in the middle. That we might call 
something like no escape, mm-hmm. where the, there is no purification. There is no purification of self, and there is no purification of action, and there is no purification of view. Instead, there is an acceptance and a clarity about the responsibility that you hold in each moment and an understanding that you cannot get out of it no matter what you do and that your actions then become a response to that reality. They are a response to that acceptance that you are stuck. Zen locates itself in option C, as I understand it. So that when we look at the first precept, which is not killing, do not kill, do not take life, we begin not with trying to find a way out, Not with trying to find a solution, but by trying to look it right in the face and understand that killing is fundamental to our lives. We are steeped in it. And close your eyes for a moment and try to imagine, try to guess at the number of beings that you have directly killed in your life. You can start with the ones that you remember, the ones that you could see. The grasshopper you stepped on when you were a kid. The fly that you swatted. And then step back and think about all the ones that you've killed but that you didn't know about, but that you can just guess. You can understand that when you were walking down the street, you stepped on things. Maybe one time you were driving and you felt something, but you weren't sure. You don't know. Imagine the times that you have participated indirectly in the killing of something. Everything you've ever purchased or been given that had been killed for consumption. And all the times that you've participated in killing, when killing was not the point, but made possible something else. So that you could have gas in your car, or you could have a certain kind of home, or a certain kind of clothes. 
And recognize that as you're sitting here and you're breathing in and out and you're imagining this story, this version of the story of your life, that there are organisms dying inside you as you breathe. And you're holding all of that. The way that I have encountered this tradition, the way that my teachers have talked to me, has never been to say, look at all that and acknowledge that it's your fault. Instead, it's been to say, look at all that and acknowledge that you cannot separate yourself from that. Look at this and see that it is your responsibility, whether you intended it or not, whether you intend it or not, whether you want it to be this way or not. That there is no escape from this. There is something beautiful in trying. And we can make choices. We can change things about what we do. In areas of our lives in which we can trace the killing directly from ourselves to someone else or to something else, we can examine that. Maybe we can step away from how we've done things up to now. That's possible. And it's positive. And it's natural when you see it. When you pay attention and you start asking yourself the question, how am I participating in killing? And you start to see it. you see you have options. That's the good news. But as you look closely at it, you also start to see that in some cases you don't have options. Not realistic ones. Because you still have to breathe. And you still have to eat. And you still have to roll over in your bed. you still have to vacuum the floor. And you start to see that, you, that there's so much that you can't see. But that now that you're looking, that that's your responsibility too. And within that knowledge, and within that shouldering of responsibility, the question arises again, not how do I solve this, not how do I end this. How do I move forward while holding this? What does it mean to be honest holding this? What does it mean to live a life 
in which I do not look away from this, no matter how much I want to. How do I engage without looking away? This, to me, is a powerful set of questions. This, to me, is, is no different from the question of how we might face our own death once we acknowledge that we absolutely are going to die and once we let go of insisting that something's going to happen afterward. What do you do tomorrow in that stark vision of your life? A couple weeks ago we were talking about the pure precepts and I was talking about them as a kind of act of aggression. Not them, but, but we were talking about how our basic response to the world is to add or to try to take away. We see things how they are, but we want them to be changed. And in that attempt to change them, even in just our minds, we commit a kind of act of violence against them. And what I said then was that this isn't about morality. It's about acceptance of how things are in this moment. Not how they're going to be, but how they are. On that level, it's been said that this first precept, the precept of not killing, is the precept. That it is the precept that forms an umbrella over all the rest. Because any violation, any time there's that act of aggression, any time there's that insistence on changing it, on adding to it or taking away from it. That's a kind of attempted murder. It's an attempt to kill things as they are. When an idea comes up in your mind and you say, I don't want that idea, and you try to get rid of it, That's a kind of act of violence. It's a refusal to see things as they are. It's an act of domination on this moment. I won't go into the details about all this. We see the details of this. 
if we pause and we start to think about killing, again, we see that we are immersed in it. We see it everywhere. And we start to see the ways in which we're tethered to it. I have this image in my mind. You know, there, there's, a, there's a story of Indra's net. It's a net where each joining in the net is a mirror. And each mirror perfectly reflects all the other mirrors. And you can see infinitely. It's this beautiful image. I have a different version of that in my mind that I first... It was what came to mind when I first heard the term Indra's net, but no one had explained it to me yet. And what I imagined instead was that each person was like a marionette. That each person had a string tied to each finger and each joint. And that each other person had all those same strings. And that each thing had all those same strings. So that every time anyone moves, it pulls on everything. If you relax, it allows something else to move. If you pull, it pulls something toward you. Not just something. All of it. (laughs) Right. This is my understanding, more or less, of Mahayana Buddhism. Which emphasizes so strongly the connection. The universality of our actions. So that when we when we make a choice, we understand that that choice, even if, if made in apparent isolation, is not in isolation. We understand that when we contract, everything reacts to that. Everything feels it. And that when we relax everything else finds a kind of liberation. For me, this is a useful way of thinking about all the precepts. It's useful for any, any conversation where we, get, where we might get stuck in a question of should or shouldn't. Because again, it doesn't come down to some abstraction of good or bad. It's not about receiving a gold star or having a star taken away. It's about the acceptance and the understanding that when you move, the world moves. When you stop, the world stops. Not because you're the center. But because you can't cut those strings. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.